practice into our lives. Today is day 43, and we are in the midst of point seven, tips. Maxim 43 reads, regard two things as if your life depends on it. The two things are our connection and upholding of the Buddha's teachings right within our life. And within those teachings, the practice of Lojong, healing dualistic mind in particular. Now, as I say in the companion book, none of us are likely to be facing the firing squad or threatened with hanging if we don't give up our Lojong practice. That's not likely to happen to us. But what this maxim is saying is we should care as much about how we live as that we live. It's saying, look to the quality of the life that you are co-creating with all of the conditions that you encounter. A lot of the times we think of the circumstances in our family, work, friendships, highway traffic as stuff that's coming at us, happening to us. This is actually saying, use the Lojong teachings, this practice of healing dualistic mind, and the teachings of the Buddha in general, to inhabit a mindset that allows you to co-create your life, seeing all the things that you experience as conspirators in this creation of a life that is quality for you in your particular circumstances with your particular needs. Prize this practice, value it for the worth and the enormity that it holds for your life. The potential is huge, but if we don't prize it, we're not likely to put it into action. It'll be something that sits on our shelf gathering dust, and every once in a while we'll be reminded of it, and we shake off the dust and so forth. It's basically getting a little bit serious and saying this isn't a hobby. This is something to take to heart in the best way you can in whatever circumstances you have and live to your utmost as much as you're able. And this reminds me a little bit of one of the places we started with the Lojong, which is four thoughts that turn the mind to Dharma, that reminders for us to really focus on the Dharma as a priority in our lives. So is this connected to that in a way? In a way, yes. We've seen over and over again as we've gone through these maxims how they arc back and forth between each other. What you're describing is actually a step farther in. It's not so much that the maxims are related, but that your engagement with it, your contemplation, your understanding of the maxims is starting to reveal to you more subtle connections that aren't necessarily literal you wouldn't necessarily see them if you were just looking at a list of these maxims the first time you encountered them. But the more you live them, the more you encounter them, the more connections you make. So for example, if you are doing this practice as a daily practice where you draw a single maxim per day, either randomly or in the numerical order, either way, when you get to this, you might be reminded of, hey, this is just like the contemplation of a priceless human existence the shortness of my life. It might fuel those contemplations in your formal practice, and the formal practice may fuel this in turn. 
So it's another example of the multidimensional quality of these maxims and the practice that we create around them. I was thinking that, you know, this maxim, it's a good reminder, but somebody might ask, you know, why is it important to take it so seriously? And that's why I thought about the four thoughts that turn the mind to Dharma, which I believe was maxim number one. I thought if people are like trying to remember, why should I do that? What's what's the what's the danger in not doing that? Then maybe go back to maxim number one and, and it might be a good opportunity to contemplate the why of this, the why is it important. The thing that strikes me about this is taking it very seriously doesn't always feel heavy to me. You know, taking it seriously sounds heavy and as if your life depends on it sounds heavy. But is that the intended tone of it or are there ways to embrace the Dharma and take it very seriously with a light heart? There is a seriousness to it, but I think it's more the seriousness of a grandfather giving advice to their young grandchild. They've lived through life. They've gone through ups and downs. They love their grandchild, and they would do anything to pour their life's worth of understanding into them. I hear in this maxim, Kadampa Geshe Chekewa Yeshe Dorje's own tender, heartfelt advice to us, his spiritual grandchildren. So there's a quality of seriousness to it, but it's not a heaviness. As a matter of fact, we're coming up on another maxim, which is very similar, train wholeheartedly. Perhaps a better word than seriously for this tone is wholehearted, to see the value in engaging this practice in a wholehearted way, not artificially, where we force ourselves, and not putting the cart before the horse, but allowing ourselves to experiment with the practice, experience the impact that has on us. And that breeds its own enthusiasm. That enthusiasm is wholeheartedness. It's that natural inclination to lean into the practice even more. Diligence, which in our society can feel very heavy, in Buddhism is defined as taking joy in virtue. In other words, having enthusiasm for practices that open our hearts. I'm curious about why this maxim focuses on two things, one of which is part of another, the Buddha's teachings in general, and then the Lojong in particular, the emphasis on the Lojong here, I sort of understand because we're in the middle of the Lojong. I don't know if it's just like a reminder to say, yeah, you're doing the right thing by focusing on this specifically, but there's more to it than that. So I'm just trying to sort of get the sense of including both of these things, the broader and the more specific in this one slogan. Coming out of a tradition of grounding in the teachings of the Buddha, it's clear, as you say, why the Buddha's teachings would be emphasized. But in particular, the Lojong is emphasized because these are not words that the Buddha spoke. There's all kinds of controversy about what did the Buddha say? What did the Buddha not say? Can we tell? Can we not tell? Frankly, dualistic mind. I'm not saying there isn't something of value when it comes to historical understandings of the Buddha's teachings and the lineages that come out of that. What this is pointing to is that the full range of the Buddha's teachings 
is a central importance. And then, of course, the lojong is the text that we're talking about. These are tips for maintaining the lojong practice. So they're going to tell you, guard it with your life. There are many who really took this to heart at the time of the Cultural Revolution. Many monks, nuns, lay people, etc. were imprisoned in Chinese prisons. And I've met quite a few who survived because of practicing lojong. In particular, I remember the former Reaver Rinpoche. You could look into his eyes, and they were just the kindest, softest, gentlest, built around choosing to heal dualistic mind rather than succumb to hatred in such extreme circumstances. It's saying have that quality of reverence, that quality of holding the teachings of the Buddha and this practice of lojong in your mind and heart with tenderness and reverence, something that we live with a whole heart, tender and devoted. This has been Yeshe and Tanya on day 43 of Prajna Spark's special series, 59 Days of Healing. Tune in daily for more maxims from the Tibetan Lojong text, Seven Points for Healing Dualistic Mind. Check the episode notes for more resources, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Prajna Sparks, and email us, sparks at prajnafire.com, with any questions. May all beings benefit. Thank you.